Thanks, man. Good morning, church family. Oh, come on. Let's do a little better than that. I know, I know we're thin today, and it looks like nobody's here, and it makes us all sad, but you're here, so you're glad to be here? Good morning, right? Man, we have had an amazing week at this church. Wednesday night up here. Who, if you were here Wednesday, just kind of give us an amen. And woo, right? I mean, it was... If you weren't here Wednesday, find somebody that was and talk to them about some of our fifth and sixth graders and some of the things they did and just the night of worship we got. It was such a blessing to me. It was healing. It was hopeful. It was, uh, I don't know, I needed to just have a night of worship uh, for my soul. It was like water to me. Like I was thirsty and I needed a big drink and I got it. And thank you for that. Thank you to our teens. I want to just call them out real quick in a good way. Um, not like I got called out as a teen when I got stared at for punching somebody next to me over and over, but as a good way, telling our teens, thank y'all for coming and just worshiping and giving your voices and your effort. It was an amazing night, and thank you for that this morning, too. We've got a great group of young people here and love having our children up here, too. So, beautiful thing. If you want to invite somebody to church soon, just tell them, hey, you got kids? We let them kick stuff, and they'll come out, and we let them do whatever. They, we, we can get up here and tear stuff down. We should have built the wall super high, but I think we couldn't find all our bricks, so they've been moved. But we are so glad y'all are here. Um, if you are an OU fan, we're still glad you're here, and we are thankful. Uh, we are thankful that you lost yesterday, and if you're a UT fan... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, so anyway, all right. But glad everybody's here. Glad everybody's here. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll get there here in just a little bit. So the night was dark, and it was cold. But despite everybody's warmth or lack of warmth, there was a smile on everybody's face. Actually, cheers were erupting from the crowd as each new section of wall came down. It was 48 hours after November 9th, 1989. The Berlin Wall had just come down. Incredible night. Many of us remember the scenes and, and the news and seeing that, and even maybe some of us have got to hold pieces or chunks of that wall, but one of the greatest moments in the 20th century had just taken place, where a dividing wall, a huge chunk of concrete, had finally fallen down. A radio reporter from West Germany who spoke English, was in the crowd. He was looking for an angle. He wanted to find some kind of a human interest story. He was in his late 20s, so he was walking through the crowd, and he found two men that were about his age. He approached them and struck up a conversation. One of them spoke German only. That was the East German, or the East Berliner, and then the West Berliner, he spoke English. They got to talking and sharing with each other, and as they did, he learned something incredible. These two men, who had lived only blocks apart for their whole life, were actually first cousins, and they had never met until 48 hours after the wall came down. It was an incredible thing. 
The East Berliner, he, he was euphoric with a smile. He was cheering. He was carrying uh, his motorcycle helmet in one hand and in the other a huge chunk of concrete that he had helped chip away. That night was a family reunion of sorts of people that had never met but only lived moments apart. I don't know if we can imagine that. Maybe you can. Maybe you've been separated by some sort of dividing wall in your life for some reason, from a family member or from somebody that you've never met or a friend that you got estranged from and you found a reunion time. Maybe you can relate. I have a hard time relating to that idea that because of authority and because of power and because of politics and governance, that people who were just simply miles apart, it might have well been for these two men before that night, nations apart, across the world apart. I don't know if you can imagine that. But imagine being separated, not by geography, but because of ideology. That's the story of that wall. And that's the story of most of humanity. In Ephesians, we open this up today in chapter 2. And we're going to unpack today how Paul gives us an aha about what Jesus has done. It's his aha section, verses 11 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, I'm going to show you what Jesus does best. He unites, he restores, and he redeems, but he, he does that because he destroys walls. Jesus is the ultimate demo man. And this morning, we're going to do a great look at what he does and take that into our hearts. So let's pray about that, and let's begin to ask God to move in us today for us to see what walls we have built that Jesus would like to take down. Let's pray. God, you are our firm foundation. We're just saying it. But the reality is, is it is absolutely true. Everything else in this world is shifting sand. And Father, we want to treat you as such and we want to be present to you as such like we were on Wednesday. We want to be that way today. So God, bring us close. Give us honesty in our hearts about who we are, but also about who we can be. God, give us vision this morning. Father, I pray for people wherever they're at today, if it's far or near or in between or stuck or just going through the motions, Father, that you will act and move. Holy Spirit, come into this room. Do the work that none of us can do without you. Do the work that all of us want to see done, but we're often too fearful to let happen or allow happen. Just work today, God. May this be not just another Sunday, but may this be a Sunday where things change. In somebody's life, God, we pray for that. God, I do lift up our friends that are in friend speak with us today. 
just want to keep those in front of us, Father, and keep those in front of my mind and pray for great things to keep happening on Wednesday nights. May you draw people to you. May you draw this whole city to you. We pray for revival. We pray that we will find a hunger again that goes well beyond our jobs and our activities, but a hunger that we cannot find any satisfaction in other than in you. We pray that for this whole town. May that happen, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let me catch you up a little bit as you guys turn to Ephesians chapter 2 or follow along on the app or in the bulletin. We're going to be in verse 11. But if you remember or you weren't here, let's just recap. What Paul has done so far is in chapter 1, he has told us the reality. He's told us the revelation. That we live in a new humanity because of the risen, resurrected Jesus. Then in chapter 2, he begins to share with us this idea. He paints a picture of this is who you were and I want to show you who you were so you can realize the great truth of who you are. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how what he's trying to do is expose two lies in our life. The lie of sin isn't that big of a deal, so it's not that big of a deal if I'm separated from God, and the lie that's the opposite but equal in its danger that salvation isn't that big of a deal. And what Paul's trying to do is to try to tell us sin is a big deal. It is destructive. It is damaging to the world. And it's damaging to our relationship with God. But salvation on the other side is greater than any of us could ever imagine. And so he's used imagery of us being far away from God. You used to be objects of wrath, but now you've been drawn in. And today he's going to unpack a different analogy, talking about walls and showing how we can come into the presence of Jesus. This is a great passage. We're going to read 11 through 22, and I want to warn you before I read it, before we jump into this passage, most of us are familiar with this section of Scripture, maybe just parts of it, but for a lot of us, probably all of it. And I want to encourage you not to fall into the lullaby effect. The lullaby effect happens to us when we've read something many times and it becomes just words to us. It's a lullaby. For instance, we sing to our children when they're little, rockabye baby in the treetop, right? When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, down will come baby. Down will call, yeah, whatever, baby and all, right? I don't know it, right? Okay, that's an awful song, right? It's about a baby falling out of a tree, right? It's similar to ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, right? It itches, we say ashes, ashes. The actual lyrics are itches, itches, because I'm getting the bubonic plague and I'm about to die, right? We all fall down. We don't think about that because of the lullaby effect. Both of those songs are awful, right? But we go, oh, it's cool to talk. Let's sing my baby to sleep. I hope you're not in a tree, right? <laughs> That's what we do. Don't do that with scripture this morning. Don't let the lullaby effect happen and go, okay, we're just reading scripture. Imagine what Paul is saying. And here's what he says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, us, hey Gentiles, right? <laughs> you guys and called uncircumcised by those who are called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, 
remember that all of, that at, uh, that at that time y'all or you all were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. So many things of Christianity could be solved if we realized what he just said right there. That's for another day. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through, the Spirit, for through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. So consequently, or therefore, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Us, when we get together, it should look like a beautiful dwelling place for God, not because of brick and mortar, but because of our presence together. It looks like a temple. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Wow, this guy. Paul can write, church family. There's probably five or six sermons I'd love to do out of just this verses, these few verses right here, these 10 or 11 verses. There's so much here. We may do that for another day, but what Paul is doing is he's painting a picture. And this is maybe more for our people online. What he's doing is saying, you were once excluded. You were way outside of the picture. You were so far away that you weren't even anywhere near God. You weren't citizens. You were outside of the covenant. You were removed from his presence. But because of Jesus, you have been brought in. You once believed a lie, but now you are back into his presence. Paul is painting this beautiful picture. You've been now given citizenship and a new humanity, a new kingdom, a new country, a household built on Jesus. He's given analogy after analogy after analogy. And the way this passage works is it's like a cookie. You can read it like this. It's like an Oreo. We'll just call this an Oreo cookie passage. 11 through 13 is the cookie. It's good, right? It's really good. The cookie's good. You dunk it in milk. It's good, right? 19 through 22 is the bottom cookie. It's also good. But the middle, ooh, 14 through 16, ooh, that's where the good stuff is, right? That's why you get the double stuff, right? It's why, like when I was a kid, you get the double stuff and you eat, you get four or five or six or how many your mom will let you get out of the package and you eat all the cookies first except the last two and then you have an Oreo about this tall and you eat the middle. And so we're gonna eat the middle today. We're gonna focus on the center 
of what Paul is saying in the middle of this passage. Because what he says in the middle is so good. And it's summed up in three words. Jesus destroys walls. It is good news. It is great news that what divides, Jesus takes down. What splits, he brings into unity. What separates, he restores. Now, your translation may have used in verse 15 and 16, 14, 15, and 16, it might have used the word hostility, the dividing wall of hostility. That's what we just read. Or the dividing barrier. The word here is the Greek word for enmity. Some of you may have a translation that actually uses that word enmity. Enmity in the Greek appears in the New Testament six times, but every time it means the same thing. It's summed up with this idea that enmity is the enemy of unity. It's that thing that always works against God's good purpose. Enmity is the enemy of unity. Now remember two weeks ago, we dealt with this big idea of what's the powers? Paul talks about these terms, the powers and principalities of the air. And we define them as this. We said the powers are physical and spiritual forces that are ideas and rules that work against God's good creation. The things that divide. Remember we said it was the things that are on this side. Paul uses that word enmity to describe the same thing. Enmity is the walls we build. It's the jealousies we carry, the revenge we seek, the racism and prejudice that we allow to become our mode of thinking. The things we carry that create enemies of others. And enmity is the enemy of the unity God seeks. But Jesus comes to break it down. Now I want to ask you a question here. Most of us, I think, would probably respond to the question the same. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most of us would probably say, he came to die on the cross to die for our sins on our behalf so that we could receive eternal life. And we would be correct in saying that. But what's interesting in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and particularly 14 through 16, is that Paul doesn't use that language. What he says in this passage is he says, let me tell you something else about what the cross did. He says that Jesus' primary purpose, yes, it was salvation. I think he's assuming that. But how did he create a way for salvation was that his primary purpose was verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity, one new humanity out of the two. Side note, do you know, Christians, this is so interesting how we identify with ourselves, you have more in common in all reality with a poor woman who worshiped this morning in Guatemala 
because of the blood of Christ than you do with your neighbor across the street who doesn't know Jesus. And you may say, well, that's impossible. They live in the same country. Not according to this, it's not. One new humanity has been made. And the way he did that, kids, is he destroyed the wall. I had to do that. He destroyed the wall. So from the beginning, right, that's the, that's the way of the Bible. Let me, let me make this point. If Jesus, if Paul's going to say Jesus' primary purpose is to destroy walls, does Scripture support that? Yes, because from the beginning, humanity has been wall builders. Adam and Eve take what is not theirs. Then when they're confronted by the Lord, they automatically begin the blame game. Eve blames the snake. Adam blames his wife. They both in turn blame the Lord, and a wall is built. It's a template for every sin. A chapter later, Cain and Abel. Cain, when asked and confronted about his wrongdoing, he says this famous line, am I my brother's keeper and has given all of us a thousand excuses in that line to build walls. Walls are built and on and on it goes. The story goes through scriptures, walls dividing people group and nations and then into our world, dividing homes and families and brothers and sisters, walls. And Paul is saying that Jesus arrives and his primary purpose is to destroy those walls. And you can see that in the way he connects with others. If you just do a mental checklist of how did Jesus destroy walls in his three years of ministry, the list would be long, right? He empowers women in order to destroy patriarchy. He empowers the outsider and the outcast in order to show that they belong. He tells parables about Pharisees and tax collectors and says this tax collector who is the outcast is actually the one who knows how to pray. He's destroying walls. He ministers to Gentiles to show that they have an access to the Father. And even in his death, he ultimately breaks down the wall is that he literally divides the temple veil. When he breathes his last and says, it is finished. And the veil splits, symbolizing access to the Father. Now chances are that Paul meant that Jesus destroys wall metaphorically and also literally. I think he probably not only had in mind his ministry and the things he did on the cross, like the temple veil, but he also probably literally has in mind what was around the temple. Here's a, here's a model of the temple. And I want you to see, let's see if I can get this laser here. I want you to see this wall right there. This wall right here was the wall that divided the Gentile court from actually moving through this gate or these gates to move into the actual area of worship. This wall right here is called the temple balustrade. Paul probably has this idea in mind. He grew up going to Jerusalem. He knows about this wall, and more particularly, he knows that this is actually one of the inscriptions on the wall. The inscriptions on this wall ran, the wall was about thigh to waist high, and the inscriptions on this wall ran every few feet, every few meters. And here's what it said. No stranger 
is to enter within the balustrade. Nobody uses that word anymore. It means wall, okay? Balustrade. You can really impress people <laughs> with that. Your kids, if you want to, like your, your parents tell you to go fix the fence and you, don't you mean balustrade, right? <laughs> Father. <laughs> but anyway, here's what it says, sorry. No stranger is to enter within the balustrade round the temple. Whoever is caught will be responsible for his ensuing death. Isn't that crazy? You talk about a wall of hostility. Threatening wall enemy-making wall, Paul has this in mind, not only literally, but also metaphorically. And what he says in Ephesians chapter two is Jesus is the ultimate demo man. He's gonna take it down. Where there is division, Jesus desires unity. Where there is hate and discord, Jesus is going to teach us kindness and patience. Where there are relational walls and breaks in relationship, Jesus shows us how to be kind. Where there are walls of disordered love, Jesus shows us self-giving love. And where there are power structures, where are, which are everywhere in our world, Jesus shows us power is only found in servanthood. He's an amazing demolition man. But the question we all have to ask as we're now starting to see what Paul is saying with this text is this. Is yeah, Jesus destroyed walls, then why are there still so many walls? Were you there yet, church? Were you going, yeah, that's great, but why are we still so divided? But it does, we don't have to look very far to find the answer, do we? Why are there still walls? It's us. Because we love to build them. Why do these still exist? Why are we as divided, if not more divided than ever? Why are there 3,500 different versions of Christian denominations in America alone and 10 times that across the world? It's because humans love walls. Several years ago, Allison and I were on one of our final retreats that I had as a youth minister at the Edmund Church of Christ. And we wanted to do this unique retreat. I think you were on this one, Al. You may have not been, because of kids. I don't know. But you can tell me later. All right. You're like, why are you asking me questions during your sermon, Jake? Right. We were on this retreat, and we wanted to do something really unique. We wanted our kids to experience life outside of suburban comfort. And so we challenged our teens to do some things that were way out of the ordinary for them. They were to begin their retreat, actually on Friday while they were at school, and they were gonna begin a 24-hour fast where they got to eat lunch at school, and then we weren't going to eat until the following Saturday of our retreat for lunch. And also throughout the, the weekend, we were going to pull them out of their comfort zone. They had to go find their own water. They had to experience life outside of the ease of the United States. Well, our final night of that, Saturday night, our final dinner on that, we decided to do something pretty unique. We went through the uh, campsite that day and we were handing out two different colors of paper to the kids, just at random. If you got a green slip of paper, it meant one thing. And if you got a yellow slip of paper, it meant another. 
Dinner came along, and as dinner came along, everybody lined up outside the mess hall, and we wouldn't let them come in. And then we called for, who has a green slip of paper? And there was about 15 to 18 of our teens that got a green slip of paper. This was our 20%. And they got ushered in, and they got to sit down in the mess hall, and they had tables waiting for them and seats, and they had table covers on them and they had waiters and they were asked about what they wanted to drink, if they wanted soda or if they wanted tea or if they wanted water. And they got this nice candlelight setting. Well, the other 65 or 70 kids were outside. They all had a yellow slip of paper. And once we had our special guests, the green group, seated, we hauled them through and they had to sit in the remaining area of the mess hall without any seats and without nothing. We told the kids no rules. We didn't tell them anything that was going on. They just had to experience because we wanted to see how they would act. See how they would act when they discovered what was going on. Well, what we were trying to show them was how the world lives, that 80% of the world fights for survival every day. And 20% of us, which is us, Pretty much get whatever we want. So the meal began, and we had this three-course meal set up for the, for the green slippers. And the green slip sheet, sheet of kid, paper kids, they got treated well. While the other kids just sitting on the floor got nothing, and they just had to watch this happen. So we got through the first course, the salad, and we started getting into this grilled chicken, and we had fresh mashed potatoes and green beans and all this wonderful stuff, and the waiters were bringing that out. And when they brought out those nice accoutrements for our green kids, then came out the food for the yellow kids, and we brought out just a big pot of sticky kind of nasty, half good cooked, half not cooked real well rice. No bowls, nothing. And we set it down in front of those 65 kids and said, there's your dinner. Well, it all started out funny. Some of the kids were laughing and they thought it was kind of, they kind of were like, oh, no big deal. So you heard some of the yellow group kids shout out as they sat around their bowl, I can eat with my hands all day, I don't mind. I love rice. I'll eat rice every day. I'll eat it for the rest of my life. Some of the kids were yelling that. But then just in this short amount of time, you're talking half hour to 45 minutes, all of a sudden, some bricks started getting built. We started building some walls. It was about time we started wheeling out the fresh homemade cheesecake for those that were sitting at the table. And the kids with the rice started looking at that cheesecake and their voices changed from I can eat rice to all day to different phrases were being yelled out. Like, why are they getting cheesecake? And I'm not. They didn't care about the chicken, apparently. The cheesecake put them over the edge. Started hearing things from the green group actually calling back. Heard a green group kid, as they were eating their cheesecake, say, wow, these scalloped potatoes were amazing and I can't wait to eat that cheesecake. To which some of the kids shot back, well, you guys just think you're better than us. To which some of the kids at the green table 
shouted back, well, I guess you just weren't good enough to get a green slip of paper. Before long, it was kind of getting out of hand, and I was like, this social experiment isn't going like I wanted it to go. Because all of a sudden, there was shouting and tears. One girl said, you're my best friend, and you wouldn't share with me a piece of pie. And then the green table shouted back and said, I didn't even know I could. It was such an interesting night. But here's the point. We told them nothing. No rules. No regulations. But yet as humans, why are there still walls? Because we love to build them. We love to say, I'm better. I deserve. I'll take that's mine, not yours. The green group was free, free to share and didn't. The yellow group was free to ask questions and didn't. And they went each other full of what Paul would call hostility and enmity. Why? Because we build walls. Now to let you in, we did feed the yellow group everything else too, okay? <laughs> we didn't just leave them with rice. You're like going, Jake, I knew you were a terrible youth minister, but we did feed them, all right? And I was a terrible youth minister, but I at least fed the kids. But this is Paul's aha. Paul's revelation that he's trying to get us to see is he's saying the apocalypse of Jesus is the fact that he's destroyed this, stop rebuilding it. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see. You were once far, now you've been brought near because the wall has been torn down. Stop building what God has destroyed. And that's all around us. It was all around us in the first century. Labels, stereotypes, judgments. We read them in scripture. We read about Herodians and Pharisees and Sadducees and Greeks and Romans and Epicureans and Stoics. And maybe those don't ring with us like they should. We don't think about the prejudice that's associated there. So for us, maybe we need to lay it on our hearts a little better. So we're gonna do a little experiment here. You don't have to get up. I'm not gonna throw rice out here at you. What we're gonna do instead is I want you just to take notice of the walls you've built in your life. This is a self-assessment. So honesty is the best policy. I'm gonna just put a word up on the screen and I'm gonna put several words up on the screen in succession. And I want you just to think about what goes through your mind. And the purpose of this is to see if you are allowing the work of Jesus or if you are building walls. So notice the narratives that play in your mind when you see these words. Notice yourself maybe saying, yeah, I know God loves them, but. Or maybe even notice if you have an Apple Watch on, turn your blood pressure monitor on and see what happens. So here we go. First word, maybe you know this guy, he's a real good guy, but then you, the longer you get to know him, you realize he's kind of weird and arrogant and he's an oaky. <laughs> Somebody from Oklahoma. Starting light. 
Maybe if it's even worse, if they're an Oki, they're a Sooner. Right? Now I'm just kidding there. But let's get into some other things. Those two are just for fun. Maybe if you're older, maybe you work with some people and they, they seem like they're privileged and they only want what their way and they're kind of selfish. So you really respond to this. Well, they're a millennial. Yeah. They're so concerned about themselves. Or maybe you are a millennial or a Gen Zer here this morning and you've had run-ins with other people and so you respond to them because you've had to help them with technology. You're like, boomers. They don't understand the world. My grandma makes me fix her phone and she blames it on Apple every time as if it's Apple's fault, right? Boomers. Or how about these two? Guy's just a cynic. Don't be around that person. They're negative all the time. Maybe even close to home. They're conservative. They're liberal. I don't like the way they think about, I don't like the way they voted for. I don't like the way they look at this or that new, new thing that we're all talking about. So we build walls. You know, sitting with this one for just a second, how much of our world, how much of your world is framed around those two ideas? That everybody defines differently, but yet if you hear somebody called a conservative, you automatically think something about them, or if you hear them called a liberal, you automatically think something about them, whether that has to do with politics or church or anything in between. How much of your world is framed around these two ideas? And how many walls are built in your life because of those two words. Or how about this one? Woke. I don't even know what that means, but it's thrown around a lot. You probably don't know what it means either. A redneck. thought that was synonymous with Oki. <laughs> right? We have these walls that we built, and I don't know what they are, but you get, we could go on and on. You get that, right? Why are there walls? Why is there hostility? Because we create them. We build them. And over time, what happens because we do that, our primary, primary narrative that we attach on people becomes fill in the blank. They're hopeless. They're lost. That's just the way they are. They're evil, whatever it is. But I want to tell you this morning what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is that is not the gospel, church. That's not the truth and it's not reality. And if we are allowing ourselves to build walls instead of allowing Jesus to destroy walls, we are not living in tune with the gospel. We're actually living anti-gospel. I might even dare to say it's anti-Christ. Listen to Paul in another place. He's making the same statement here in Ephesians or in 2 Corinthians 5 that he's making in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what he says about the present reality of the new humanity. He says, for Christ's love compels us. In other words, it's the thing that drives us. It's the thing that we are wrapped up in. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all, that Jesus died for everybody, and therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one. Listen to that. We now no longer regard anyone, no one from a worldly point of view. We no longer play this game. We once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, he doesn't say is coming. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amen. Little energy in the room today. Good grief, that's so good. And he has committed. What is committed to us? He tore down the wall for us so that we could do what? Have his ministry of that, of tearing down walls. Pretty good punt, right? It's a ministry in the message of reconciliation. In other words, because of Christ's love for us, we see the world in a different way. Not just slightly different, completely different. We now see everyone through the lens of what Jesus has done for me and you and what he can do for the world. People have potential. And our identity and our ministry is to see different so that we can do different. So I've got just one thing for you today. One challenge, one expression of this, and it's really simple. Christians ought to be in the business of building tables and not labels. Church isn't a place of fence building. You cannot protect family, you should expand family. That's the purpose of the church. We don't build labels. What we ought to do is build tables. Because one has died and he died for everybody. We need to be practicing tearing down hostility so that we can practice hospitality. We need to stop profiling and start providing providing a way to see the aha, the revelation, because what our revelation is, is that we have been brought into this reality and there is always room at the cross, always. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room today? Help me out, church family. Where is David Calabrese? He's doing security today. All right, David, if you're hearing me, I miss you, I love you. All right, this is our ministry. People are not problems. People have potential. This is why Jesus is patient with you and is patient with your neighbor. Everyone has the potential to look like Jesus, and that is the hope we have. It's the hope I have for myself, and it's the hope I should have for all humanity. So today, I want to invite you to allow Jesus to do what he does best. Because today, every one of us is carrying baggage. Every one of us has came in here with brick and mortar. In this room, 
We're carrying parts and pieces and sections and maybe even something as big as the Berlin Wall, walls that we build between us and others and maybe even walls that we think we can build between others and God. Now, I understand that some of those walls you've been handed, some of those you can't help but carry, trauma, pain, generational sin and brokenness, I get that. Some of those bricks we can't do anything about, but those are not what we're focusing on today. I want to call attention to them, but it's not what we're focusing on today. What we're turning our attention to are the ones we construct, the ones we form, the ones that we carried in here heavily laden that are jealousy and dissension and division, and even sometimes unintended hurt. Some of those are external bricks, the resentment you carry for another. Some of them are internal. Maybe most of them are fears and worries. Well, what we're going to encourage you to do, and I know this probably doesn't feel like a Sunday to do this, but we're going to encourage it anyway, is I want... There's no reason any of us shouldn't respond to the sermon today. Because I'm going to go with what I know best, and I know that all of us build walls. And because that's true, and it's so true in my life, I know that all of us need to lay them down. So we put some cards on your rows today that I want you to grab, if you would. And what I'm going to ask you to do today is to spend a little time as Corey leads us in scripture or in, in song here in just a minute. And we're going to stand and you can stand if you need to or you can sit if you need to, but it's probably been a long time since we've had a time where 50, 60% of this church goes, you know what, I need to respond today. And maybe we need to stop putting that off. So I'm going to ask everybody to respond today. Everybody that says, you know what, I've got something I need to lay down. I want you to fill out that card and say, God, help me destroy this wall. It might be something that's external that you need prayers about. It may be something that you need support from. It may just be something internal that you've been holding on to. We won't be able to connect with everybody, but if you do need to connect with a shepherd or myself or Barry, we're going to be up here and you can connect with us. But other than that, just bring them up here during our singing and lay them at the foot of the cross. This isn't a holy ground. Anybody can get up on stage. You can walk up here and you can lay it down. And if you need to stay up here, let's stay up here. Let's hug each other. Let's support each other because we are in this together. Church, we're the new humanity. The hope for the world, the hope for the nations. And all the good in the world exists in here as all the bad in the world does too. What we've got to do is say we will not rebuild the bad. It has been torn down. It has no place in this church family. So however you need to respond today, write that down. You can sign your name if you want to. If you'd like us to be praying over it, we can. If you want to just symbolically and say, no, I want to hang on to my own thing, you can. That's okay, but still come up here and let's support each other. Let's allow the Spirit to move today.
And let's let God do his best. If you're online with us today, we invite you to this too. Post something on our Facebook. Post something on our YouTube. Send me an email. Send a text. Whatever it is and respond. We want to be praying over this. Because the aha we all should have is that, man, I've been carrying a lot of these bricks. And I don't have to. And guys, that's good news. Amen? Let's stand together and sing. We're here for you. A couple elders, if you want to come join us down here, uh, we'd love to have you down here.